Welcome, welcome. How's everyone doing today? That's good. I like to hear that. My name is Pastor Jake. Uh, if you haven't seen me before, I'm up here occasionally and I'll be at First Five even afterwards. So I'd love to meet some of you that are here for your first time. Uh, we've been in a series called The Way Back to Church. And if you've missed some of those messages, man, I'd highly encourage you to go check. Even if you have already heard them, go back and listen to them again. They're so rich, so good, uh, so, uh, so helpful in, in what we're talking about. Today I'm going to wrap up the series, though, before we head into our Easter series. Uh, so if you know me and you've been around for a while, you know we're going to run about 100 miles an hour. Uh, so I hope your seatbelt's on, and we're going to go deep, too. So I hope you scuba certified, if you will. You ready? You ready? All right, help me out. Stand up with me as we read today's text. It's found in one of the Gospels, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5. We're going to start at verse 13. Would you read along with me? You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt should lose its flavor, how should it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a basket. Instead, they put it on a lampstand so it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men so that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Let's pray. Father, we just welcome you in this place. Every week we gather in in these large kind of gatherings all across the world for one purpose, to hear and meet with you. And God, this is no different. As we dive into this text, as we we unpack what it means to be the church, God, may you open our ears and our hearts. God, we want to lean into where you're pressing in. We want to hear you, God. In your name we pray. Everyone said? Amen. Amen. Give someone a fist bump as you sit down. As you came in, hopefully, uh, did everyone get a broken piece of pottery at all? Hopefully, you got a piece of broken pottery as you came in. If not, that's okay. It'll be helpful. That's uh, one of those things you can take home with you. But I got a broken, broken piece of ceramic right here. Uh, I want to ask you a question, real simple question. Does this broken piece of pottery have any value? Maybe, maybe it might be better to ask this. Would anyone pay me $100 for this piece of broken pottery? No, no. Would you be surprised to know that I actually paid for this? <laughs> what if I told you there was value with this? What if I told you that this broken piece of pottery is actually you? And represents you. Every piece is different in here. Every piece is broken in a unique way. There should be no piece that looks the same in here. This piece could easily represent you today. I was in Augusta, Georgia, on the banks of the Savannah River. I was watching a Broadway-like show of the representation of what Jesus did on the cross for me. And it was in that seen, staring up at the stars at 19 years old that I decided to bend the knee and gave my life up for Jesus. I laid down the addictions. I laid down anger for losing my father when I was young. 
I laid down everything, all the, the, all the things in my life that, that, that I kept arguing for, I, I laid down in that one space. And I never looked back. And it's been a ride ever since. It's not, not always been fun, but it's always been good. And at the very beginning, I thought it was pretty simple. I thought it was just me <laughs> and God, and that was the life, right? But I found out it wasn't just me and God. It was me plus God and this thing called the church, which bugged me, which really upset me. Because when I thought of the church, I thought of things like this. (laughs) And this, right? this and I was upset because like I can do this everything me me and God me and Jesus we were good man like we could do this you're telling me though that I got to tie my ship to this thing called the church too it can be ugly it can be messy at times right I bet you if you could put up a picture you might all have your own picture that you'd put up here Things that frustrate you about the church in general. Things that when you talk with people who are unbelievers, who don't go to church, that they bring up and you're like, yeah. Let's not talk about that side of it. Kanye West and Jay-Z, the famous rappers, they wrote a song called Church in the Wild. And in the song, part of the course, it goes like this. Human beings in a mob, what's a mob to a king? What's a king to a God? What's a God to a non-believer who don't believe in anything? Will he make it out alive? All right, all right. No church in the wild. And the song is Kanye and Jay-Z's kind of ode to hedonism. It's they're their saying, hey, this is the church and, and in here, but out in the wild, out in the real world, it, at, at this point in our society, it's do whatever you want. Right? Whatever brings you pleasure, whatever makes your life good. And out there in the wild, there is no church. And and here's what I got to thinking this week. As I thought about this idea of our way back to church. Is we do church really well in here, don't we? I mean, how many enjoyed the worship this morning? Wasn't that awesome? And the teachings the last couple weeks, incredible. Like we do church in here, most churches do church well in these four walls, don't we? But what does church look like in the wild? What does it look like out there when we leave this place? How does it function? How is it supposed to be, as we read, a light to the nations, salt to the earth? If we just build this place in here and we're not doing church out there, it's like like putting salt on salt, right? That's nasty. (laughs) I remember when I first went to the mountains and I I looked up at the stars and I was like, the stars are so bright. And I remember someone told me the reason that is is because in the city, there's light already projected up. It's harder to see the light when you're in the light. Light is best in the darkness. And we're called to be salt. We're called to be light. We're called to do church in the wild. 
There's an ancient Sufi teaching that says this, that I think it's going to help us unpack this. It says this, you think because you understand one, you must also understand two. Because one and one make two, but you must also understand and. (laughs) I see you're like, that sounds profound. I just don't know what it means really, (laughs) right? He's saying, listen, listen, you, under, you have to understand in an equation, right, one plus one, and you probably have to understand two, but sometimes we forget the most important part is we've got to understand the and, the plus. And, and so I, I want to look at this equation, God, me, us, in the church it equals life, salt, and light. But the secret in what we're looking at is found in here, in the end. Does that make sense? And because of that, it becomes a little nuanced. So let's jump in. Let's look at me. Let's look at us, okay, as individuals. If you got your Bibles, we're going to look at Genesis. We're going to go all the way back to the beginning. Genesis chapter 2, verses 10. Adam and Eve are created... And then it says this, a river flowed out of Eden to water the garden. From there it divided and became four river heads. The name of the first is Pashan, the one that winds uh, around the whole land of Hevala, where, the gold, where there is gold. The gold of the land is good. Delium and lapis lazuli stones are also there. The name of the second river is Gahon. It winds down the whole land of Cush. The name of the third river is... <laughs> Right? <laughs> Do you read this and you're just like, okay, uh, whatever, like Cush, land, this, rivers. Why, why do we disconnect when we read that, right? Because we have no idea where these places are, do we? We read this and it's a foreign place. It's a foreign country. It, it, it's like, okay, I, but you know who it wasn't foreign to? Adam and Eve. For Adam and Eve, this was their home. For Adam and Eve, this was something more. And then it says this at the very end. It says, then Adonai Elohim, right, the Lord God, took the man and gave him rest in the Garden of Eden. Your Bible might say he placed him there. He placed him there. And it's so so easy to read past this and just go, okay, God... Created man and Eve, he created a place, and he put him in that place. He rested him there. The imagery is like a mother laying down a child at night into their, not dropping him, but gently putting him in a place. Place matters. And you have a place. And I have a place. You have a neighborhood that you live in. And you have neighbors that live next to you. And they have names, and they have families, and they have stories and you have a job, and you have an occupation, and you have coworkers that, that, li- that work next to you, and they have families, and they have connections, and they are people too. Place matters, and God has put you, he's put me in a place, a unique place, not like someone else's place, not like the person's place that's sitting next to you. Your place is unique. And it's the place that God has put you. Place matters. When we think about church in the wild, it matters. Sometimes it's easy for us to look at other people's place and go, I'd like to be in that place. (laughs) 
But God has put you in your place for a purpose, for you to be the light, for you to be the salt, for you to be a church in the wild. Place matters. And if place matters, something else matters. Your gifts and your purpose matters. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 4 says this. Now there are various kinds of gifts, gifts, but the same roach or the same spirit. There are various kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are various kinds of working, but the same God who works all things in all people. But to each person is given the manifestation of the Roach for the benefit of all. He says, listen, every one of you have been given gifts. Every one of you are wired special. Every one of you are unique in this feature. And just like this broken piece of pottery, you're unique because of the place God has put you and the gifts that he has given to you. Does this make sense? You following me? All right. So that's us. Let's take a look at God in this equation. God, in the very beginning, he created Adam and Eve. He put them in the garden, right? And we know this. It tells us in Genesis that, that God walked among them in the cool of the day, it says. What does that mean? What does that look like? I have no idea, man. But how cool would that be? I mean, God's presence, it wasn't this ethereal thing. It was, it was a literal presence, the presence of God was right there. The intimacy of just having, you know, it was, it'd be like you and, and your family, your spouse, just being, doing life together. And this was God at the very beginning as it was intended to be. But we know it doesn't stay that way. Adam and Eve sinned. And because of that sin, they were banned from the presence, right? They couldn't go there. How many of you remember when they were banned, God put two figures to, to guard Eden. Do you remember? It was angels, right? Or cherubim, heavenly beings. And there they, played, they had fiery swords to guard them from going back in. Something had changed dramatically. Now the access to God, the presence of God had changed. It no longer was this intimacy, this face-to-face. But the good news is this, is he didn't leave it that way. He didn't leave it in this band state, you know, exit stage left and go, okay, they've screwed this up like I'm doing my own thing. God still desired a relationship with us. He still desired to have that presence and that intimacy the way Adam and Eve had it. But he had to figure out how it would work in our current state in a world full of sin. So what did he do? Exodus chapter 25 Verses eight through nine, it says this. Have them, the people of God, make a sanctuary for me so that I may what? So that I may what? Dwell among them. Do you see the, the language, the verbiage he's using? It's this, it's this I don't want to be this God stuck on a podium. I want back there. And here's how I can do it. Here's how I've got to do it. Because these people live and coexist with sin. Build me a house. Build me a residence. And there I will dwell among them. There I will be once again as I was with Adam and Eve. Face to face. His presence there. 
Exodus chapter 25, verses 22. I will meet with you there. I will speak from with you from above the atonement cover, from between the two cherubim, our angels, right, that are on the ark of the testimony about all that I will command you for Benai Israel, right, the children of Israel. He says, in this house, I want you to build rooms. And the further you go into these rooms, as you pass the curtain, you're going to go further and further. It's like you're transcending layers into the holy. As if you're, you're going from out here where we exist, where sin can be among us. But as we move closer and closer into the tabernacle, into the house of God, we get into the holy of holies. And in there, we have the Ark of the Covenant, right? Remember Raiders of the Lost Ark, anyone? Yeah. Yeah, you don't open that thing. (laughs) And the Ark of the Covenant, which held the Ten Commandments inside, right, was covered with a cover that had cherubim on it. The angels. Where did we see angels last? Guarding Eden. Now, it's not guarding with swords. It's held over the Ark like this. And it says that above the cherubim, above there, I will meet with you. Now, did everyone have access to this? No. It was just the high priest. It wasn't just the priest. It was the high priest. And it was only one time a year that they could go in there. But God said, this place, this place, I will meet with you. Oh. Then, as the story moves forward, Jesus, the Son of God, is introduced. And it says this, speaking of Jesus coming, it says, John, in John chapter 1, verses 14, it says, And the Word became flesh and tabernacled among us. Uh, the message, paraphrase, it says this, He moved into the neighborhood. <laughs> I like that. We looked upon His glory The glory of the one and only from the Father, full of grace and truth. So here is the Son of God. It says his glory, the presence of God who went with him, is now moving into the neighborhood. Something's changed. Something's dramatically changed. Now God's address is no longer locked in a box, in a room, in the Holy of Holies. It's transcending that. It's moving out. It's dwelling among us. But once again, we're limited. It's a person, right? Jesus was flesh and blood. Although he was God, he was still flesh and blood. Did you get to see Jesus? Did you get to walk with Jesus? No, we just read about it, don't we? So there's still some limitations, right? Like the presence of God, is, it's almost like this, this candle that's moving, like this light. The presence of God is going from being accessed to all in the Garden of Eden and now it's moving. Because we broke that, it's moving back to a house, now to a person, and then where? John chapter 7, verses 37, it keeps moving. On the last and greatest day of the feast, Yeshua, Jesus, stood up and cried out loud, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures say, Out of his innermost beings will flow rivers of living water. Now he said this, what? What did he say this about? About the Ruach, the the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, whom those who trusted in him were going to receive. For the Ruach was not yet given 
since Yeshua, Jesus, was not yet glorified. So, so we get this idea that Jesus is now introducing a new character in the narrative, in the movie, right? He's going, hey, I know it's still limited here, but my presence, the presence of God is going to continue to move out. And the way it's going to do that is with the Holy Spirit. And he's coming. As soon as I exit, as soon as I leave, he's going to come not just to you, not just to the Jewish people, but to everyone. Everyone say, that's me. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 4, verses 8, talking about when Jesus exit, when, on, as he ascends, it says, therefore it says, when he went up on high, he led captive a troop of cap- captives and gave gifts to his people. So Jesus is, is, is leaving. He's ascending. It's his last, it's his exit. And before he leaves one last time, he turns around and he dishes out gifts. Now Jesus had all the gifts, right? He operated fully as God. So how is this going to work with the Holy Spirit? Is he going to give all the gifts to all of us? No, 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 no. He gives individual gifts to each one of us. Now imagine this, that the presence of God now, which was locked in a room for so long, is now spread across. And the same intimacy that Adam and Eve had, walking with God in the cool of the day, is now what we have access to. Does this make sense? This is the part that's so cool, right? Like this, this is what makes it, this is, this is why holiness still matters today. Because you are a host for the presence of God. And just like the Holy of Holies couldn't, God does, he cannot coexist with sin. He is holy, which means literally set apart. So for him to have presence, he has to be in a place where there is no sin. That's why holiness matters. That's why we strive to be holy like he is. Because when we do this, we're hosting the presence of God. Paul says it. He says, you're bought with a price. You're you're a temple for the Holy Spirit. Treat your body as such. You get to host the presence of the one who created the solar system. The one who's spoken to existence life and is still doing it. And you get to host it now in your life, in the place that you live. All right, so let's check this out. How does this work now with the church? I see how it works with this. I see how it works with God and Jesus and the Trinity. But how does this work with the church? 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 27, it says this. Now you are the what? The what? The body of Messiah and members individually. That's kind of weird. Like, okay, we're individual, but we're a body. We're an individual, but we're a body. Now, this is important for us to remember as we're thinking of what church in the wild is. Because here's here's the way to look at it. We're all these individuals. 
right? And it says that we are unique. You're that piece of pottery in there, right? Only you have that specific wiring, the gifts that you have been given in the place that you have been put. And, and, you're, and you're together this way. Now, some of us, we share some of these things, right? Some of us over here, like, you know, we, we share the gift of maybe the prophetic, right? And, and, and we, we hear and see and speak on God's behalf sometimes. Where some of us, we hear that and we're like, I, man, that's weird. I don't get that. I don't understand that, right? But some of us, you know, we relate and we have the gift of, say, teaching, right? And we like to, 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 to uh, unpack, like, uh, theology and, and things that are, that are hard to understand so that people can understand it, right? Some of you are relatable, man. You can bring in people from all around and relate to anyone, and that's your gift. And God's put you in your place where you have for a reason. But yet all of us with these gifts are together in one body. Each individual parts, but one body. Paul, remember he uses the metaphor, John talk, Pastor John talked about it last week, you know, some are the ears, some are the legs, some are the, 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 the pinky toe, right? <laughs> and all are important for a body to function together. Now, if this is the strategy that God has for us to do church in the wild, if this is the church's plan, what would the enemy's strategy be when you're looking at this? Uh, let's take this person put them out here and let's take this person and let's put them out here and the more I can do this the weaker the body is does that make sense we live in a time and an age the buzzword now is is deconstruction right has anyone heard this yet it's deconstruct there are some healthy things about deconstruction. You should know why you believe what you believe, okay? But can I tell you, there's gonna be a part when it comes especially to following God where you're gonna have to have a little faith. You're gonna have to have a little trust. You're not gonna be able to figure everything out. Why? Because if you did, you wouldn't need a God. Right? Why would you need them? I got it all figured out. But there's still a part that we're not gonna fully understand that you've gotta step out of the boat and trust that I'm gonna walk on water, I think. I don't fully understand this, but there's a little bit of faith. There's a little bit of trust you gotta have. And here's the other thing. Nowadays with this deconstruction, now we have this criticism when we look at the church I've seen the headlines I know what's going on I've seen the mega pastors and the scandals and and all the problems that you see on the news and that your friends and people at work talk about I've seen it and it's messy and what the enemy wants to do is to take that and go, you know what? You should hightail it out of here because it's a hot mess in there. Can I tell you something? Can I be truthful? 
It's always been a mess. <laughs> and it always will be a mess. Imagine the disciples having a conversation with an unbeliever and they go, hey, isn't that the, isn't that the uh, Jesus where your own disciple betrayed him to death? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was messy from the beginning and it will always be messy. God doesn't call us to hightail it though. He calls us though within there to be One. Okay, Jake, I get it. So what you're saying is, like the Beatles, come together. Right? Right now. Over. There you go. No, that's not what I'm saying. See, listen, if we just take this idea of come together, right, and we just, we just fortify and we link, it's different than what we're talking about when we're talking about this, it's different. Because when I'm do, listen, you can't just piece together this and that and then just, you know, let's try and move forward. We've done it before. It's called Frankenstein. It's not pretty. The secret is in this, in the and, in the plus. And how does that work? And what is the secret for that? And that's what I want to land here with. So if you got your Bibles, turn to the book of Matthew, chapter 8. How do we come together? I think the secret lies in the difference in these two stories that we're going to read and a prayer that Jesus prayed for you and for me on one of his last days. So I want to read. This is a, this is a story that happens in the gospel, one in, in the gospel of Matthew and one in the gospel of Luke. They're the same story, okay? We know this for a fact. But I'm gonna read both of them to you and I want you to see if you can catch what the difference is because I think the difference here is gonna help us understand a little bit better about what this, how this and works, how this coming together works. So Matthew chapter eight, verses five, it says this. Now when Yeshua, Jesus, came into Capernaum, a centurion or a soldier came begging for help. Master, he said, my servant is lying at home paralyzed, horribly tormented. Yeshua, Jesus, said to him, I'll come and heal him. But the centurion said, Master, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed, for I also am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. Now when Yeshua, Jesus, heard this, he marveled. And he said to those who were following, Amen, I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. Moreover, I tell you that many will come from the east and the west, and they will recline at a table with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, right? The, the greats in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom will be driven out into outer darkness in the place that will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Yeshua, Jesus, said to the centurion, Go, as you have believed, let it be done for you. And the servant was healed in that same hour. Okay, does everyone understand what happens here? You've probably read this a hundred times if you've, if you've cracked open your Bible at all. Here's the same story 
but it's found in the book of Luke, all right? And I want you to see if you can catch what the difference is from the story we just read. Starting with verse 1, when Yeshua, Jesus, finished all his drash or his teaching or his explanation in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. Now a certain centurion had a valued slave who was ill and about to die. When he heard about Yeshua, he sent Jewish elders to him, asking him to come and save his slave. When they came to Yeshua, they begged him earnestly, saying, He is worthy for you to grant this, for he loves our people, and he even built our synagogue. Now Yeshua started to go with them, and when he wasn't far from the house, the centurion sent friends to say to him, Master, do not trouble yourself, for I'm not worthy for you to come under my roof. That is why I didn't consider myself worthy to come to you, but say the word and let my servant be healed. For I am a man, also a man under authority, with soldiers under me. I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. Now when Yeshua, Jesus, heard this, he was amazed at him. Turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such great faith. When those who had been been sent returned to the house, they found the slave in good health. What's the difference in the story? Did you catch it? Anyone catch it? So in the first story, right, we're told that the centurion, the soldier shows up to Jesus, right? And he says, my servant, my slave that I have, he's, he's got great favor. Will you come and heal him? And Jesus says, yes, I will, right? And he starts to head that way and he says, no, 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 you don't have to come, right? And he gives the whole explanation. I'm a soldier, I get this. You know, I order this person, I say come to this person, just say the words, and they'll be healed. Jesus says, man, what, what great faith this person has, right? And then it says, he says the word, he heads home, and what does he find? The servant's healed. Second story, same story. What's the difference? The people. <laughs> the soldier didn't show up to Jesus. He sent some friends, some Jewish elders, it says. And these Jewish elders ask him the same thing. Hey, we have a soldier. Uh, he's highly regarded. He built our temple. His servant is sick. Would you come and heal him? And Jesus says, yes. And then it says, on the way, he sent another group that says, you don't even have to come. Just say the words. All the same language, right? Is there a difference? Is there a big difference, right? Does this contradict almost? Do you want to know why? That's okay. I can go home. Do you want to know why? Yes. Now, first thing to understand, does anything in the story, how it plays out, does it change? No, right? Everything still functions. Nothing changes, you know, as far as what Jesus did or what. The only thing that changes is that instead of the centurion soldier being there, it was a group of friends being there talking instead of that. Okay, hold on to that. Now, here's Jesus' prayer. It's his last prayer for you and for me. How many of you know last words matter? Your last prayer for something would matter, wouldn't it? 
the, the most important things would bubble up to the top, wouldn't they? This is Jesus' mindset as he prays his last prayer in John chapter 17 for me and for you. Not just, not just his disciples, but for the church. And here's what he says. John chapter 17, verse 20, verses through 23 says, I pray not on behalf of these only, but also for those who believe in me through their message, that they all may be one. How? Just as you, Father, are in me, and I am in you, so that they may be one in us. And when this happens, look what he says. So the world may believe that you sent me. The glory that you have given me, to me, I have given to them, that they may be one just as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may be perfected in unity. Man, spitting rhymes. God is so good. <laughs> that I might be you in me and, and I in them and, and perfected in unities. Why? So that the world may know that you sent me and loved them as you have loved me. Here's what Jesus is praying. And this is what's happening. This is the end. This is the explanation of the difference between the stories. Because what Jesus is saying is this. When you're so one, when you're so connected this way, it doesn't matter if I go and represent myself or if someone goes for me. It's as if they are going themselves to that person. It doesn't matter whether or not the soldier went and talked to Jesus or it was his friends. They were going in his name. And so when his friends show up in the name of the centurion soldier, it doesn't matter because they're representing him. It's as if he's right there all along. And Jesus is saying, this is the kind of unity. This is what the plus, this is what the and is. It's not just, hey, we just got to be united and be together. No, it's not that. It's that you got to understand that the presence of God lives in you. And that means that wherever you go in the place that God has placed you, it's as if Jesus himself is going there. This is why, this is why Jesus says, I, like, it's so important that you abide in me, right? The book of John, the most repeated word that he uses in there is the word abide. It says, when you abide in me, listen, I am the branch and you are the vine. And when you abide in me, it's as if I'm there with you. And when you go to work and when you uh, fellowship with your neighbors, it's as, it's as if I'm there with you. I'm, it's as if the presence of God, it's left the tabernacle, it's moved past just the presence of Jesus, and it's now residing in you in the place that you go. This is how it works. This is what this kind of unity is. This is what brings salt and light to the earth. Listen to this in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 16. Paul is writing this to the church in Ephesus, and he says this. And to reconcile both to God, one body through the cross. Who went to the cross? Jesus, right? By which he put the hostility to death. 
And he, being Jesus, came and proclaimed shalom, or peace, to you who were far away, and shalom to those who were near. Which you read that verse and you're like, okay, whatever. Like it says, he's just saying that he came here and gave peace in this. Here's the only problem. Jesus never went to Ephesus. He never went there. But yet Paul is saying, hey, when he came to you and proclaimed peace and truth, how is, what does that, what does that mean? It's the, it's the same concept. He's saying, yeah, Jesus, his literal presence didn't go, but someone went to Ephesus and someone proclaimed peace and someone brought life. And that someone that because they went, it's as if Jesus himself walked into the town, into that city and proclaimed peace himself. And you get that and I get that. You carry that in you. When you're under the influence of the Holy Spirit, when you carry that, it's as if Jesus is walking into your workplace, walking into your neighborhood and doing what he does. But you gotta abide. So what does this look like? What does a church in the wild look like? Well, it depends. It depends on your gift in the place that God has put you and your willingness to abide in him. And this piece of broken pottery, it's unique. And it, it's just like you. It represents you. And you may say by itself, it doesn't seem like it has any value. Right? But just like you, every corner is unique. Every, everything about it just says, like, you are one part of something. But here's the beauty when you take broken pottery, when you take broken glass and you put it together, anyone know what that makes? A mosaic. And that's what a church in the wild looks like. When you operate under the influence of the Holy Spirit, in the place that God has put you, you can be one part in the bigger picture of what God is doing out there, not just in here. And we need to be a church in the wild because it says this, remember in Jesus' prayer, why do we want this unity? He's praying, may they be in us and you and me and why, why? So that they may know that you have sent me so that they may believe and know. And if the world, if the, if the church or the wild out there, if they don't know and if they don't believe, then maybe we're not doing such a great job of being that. Are you with me? I want to read that Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 again. I want to close with this. I'm going to read it from the paraphrased version of the message. And I want you to read it with new ears, hopefully. It says this, let me tell you why you're here. You're here to be salt seasoning that brings out the God flavors of this earth. If you lose your saltiness, how will people taste godliness? You've lost your usefulness and will end up in the garbage. Here's another way to put it. You're here to be light, bringing out the God colors in the world. God is not a secret to be kept. We're going public with this, as public as a city on a hill. If, you make your, if, you, if I make you light bearers, 
You don't think I'm going to hide you under a bucket, do you? I'm putting you out on the light stand. Now that I've put you there on a hilltop, on a light stand, what do you do? Shine. Keep open house. Be generous with your lives. Be open up to others and you'll prompt people to open up with God, this generous Father in heaven. On your chair coming in was a communion cup. I want you to pull that out and we're gonna close with this. Separated into two parts. The first film on the top will give you access to the wafer. You want to rip that open and pull that out. And then rip open the top, giving you access to the, to the juice. When Jesus sat down for his last meal with the disciples to share what we now practice as communion, he didn't do it with the hope of just the disciples getting this. He did it in the hopes that this would pass on to the church. And he says, when you partake of this, it's as if you're partaking of me. Once again, it goes back to what Jesus is saying. Abide in me and I in you. I'm the branch, you're the vine. When you do this, it's as if I'm there. And it's as if you're there too. And he pulled out the bread and he tore it. And he said, this is my body that's been broken for you. Now in just a moment, before we take this, I want you to take one second to not just think of, I know typically we think of Christ on the cross and his body bruised and broken for us, but I want you to think of it a little bit different this morning. Think of it in part of the whole. If Jesus meant this unity thing, then it's as if our body too is there. It's as if we're present there too. We're partaking in this death. And scriptures reiterate this, right, over and over, that there is a death and a resurrection, and we participate in this. So, Father, as we take this bread, we remember your body that was broken for the body, not just for us as individuals, but for us as the church, God, and for the world. And we take this in remembrance of you. You can eat. And he took the cup and the wine and he said, this is my blood that was shed for you. Just like the lamb that was slain on Passover so long ago that covered over the sins of my people, my blood will cover over all of your sin. Father, as we take this, we take it as a body and we remember God, what you've done for us. Your blood was spilled to cover our sin, to give us access to this presence once again. May we take this presence and may it be a light. May it be a church in the wild. In your name we pray, everyone said, amen. Thank you, church.